Today we're going to take a pause in our series in 1 Corinthians. And for the next two weeks, today and next week, Christmas Eve, we're going to be focusing on this passage. Now, I usually don't interrupt our sermon series for holidays or special events, but I only do so when I feel it is right, and I feel it is right today and next week. So let's turn our attention now to this passage. But first, let's ask God's blessing as we uh, study together. Father, be honored by your word this morning. I pray, God, that you would glorify yourself and accomplish all that you will through it. Father, fill me with your Holy Spirit that I might be a suitable messenger this morning. May I faithfully exposit this text and may your people hear it and be sanctified. We pray for those in this room who are not yet saved, not yet born again. And God, we pray through the power of the word and through the power of your spirit that through this text, you will open their eyes so that they will believe. In your name we pray, amen. Matthew 1.18, Matthew writes, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. Let's consider for a moment as we look at details and words over this whole passage today and next Sunday. Let's consider a moment the name that is mentioned. This is, of course, the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. Jesus Christ. The name Jesus means the Lord saves. Or Yahweh saves. Yahweh is the covenant name of God in the Old Testament for the Jewish people. Jesus is the English version of the Hebrew word Yeshua. That's how they would have said Jesus' name in Hebrew. Yeshua. Christ comes from the Greek word Christos. And the Hebrew equivalent of Christ is Hamashiach. Messiah is what Christ means. Messiah. And the word Messiah means anointed one. Christ is not Jesus' last name. That's sometimes a misconception by some. Christ is not his last name, but rather it is a title. It is who he is. And it means the anointed one. The one sent by God for a special purpose. In the Old Testament, this word Messiah is actually used in different scenarios. When a a king was um, anointed for service or a priest was ordained to serve in the temple. It just means an anointed one, an anointed. There's a special purpose for this person that's now been set apart for God's service. That's what the word Messiah means. Put them together, and in Hebrew, Jesus' name would sound like this. Yeshua HaMashiach. Jesus, Messiah. Yeshua HaMashiach. In fact, the name in his name, 
Jesus Christ. We see his nature. The Lord saves. Who is he? The Lord. He is the Lord's anointed. That's who he is. His identity is mentioned just by saying his name. The Lord saves. And his mission. What has he come for? He has come to save his people. We could say that Jesus' name means then he is the anointed one through whom the Lord saves. Matthew says this. Hey, I got a story to tell you. Let me tell you how the birth of Jesus Christ came to be. Let's stop and consider the word birth for a moment. The Jewish people for thousands of years had heard that the Lord had promised this Messiah to come. That he would come. He's the one who was anticipated by Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the prophets and David. All of them heard about him in different little bits and pieces. Not any of them had the whole story. They had a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And we are privileged to live on this side of history that we can look back and put all those pieces together to say, oh yeah, it is him for sure. Amazing. He's the anointed one who would be promised to the world. And there is no mistaking it whatsoever. In fact, if you were to look through the pages of the Old Testament, you will find 324 specific promises or prophecies about the coming of the Messiah. 324. Where he was to be born, the nature of his birth, what he would do. 324. And what we see from the four gospel accounts and the pages of the New Testament is that Jesus fulfills all of them. All of them. Even the ones that are to come about his second coming. All of them. And if you think that's not impressive, listen to this. The odds that a mistake has been made and that Jesus just coincidentally fulfilled some of these prophecies by chance. That would be a foolish understanding of the matter. According to mathematician Peter Stoner, the probabilities of just one person fulfilling even 48, forget the 324, the odds of one person fulfilling 48 of the 324 would be 1 in 10 to the 157th power. And if you don't know what that means, that's a 1 with 157 zeros after it. That's just 48 of them. And Jesus fulfills 324. There is no mistaking that he is Yeshua HaMashiach. This is as likely, Peter Stoner says, as the chance of finding on the very first attempt one specific electron out of all the electrons in the known mass of the entire universe and getting it right the first time. There is no mistaking who he is. Christmas is about the coming of the anointed one, and he came. What a blessing. I think I'm a little hot, Jimmy. If you could fix that mic. 
Sadly, our Jewish friends are still waiting for the Messiah. They reject the obvious evidence before them as their hearts are hardened and blinded by sin. They have rejected Jesus as being the Messiah. They still think a Messiah is coming and it's not Jesus. Oh, we do believe the Messiah is still coming. But not for the first time, but a second time. And all this happened, why? Because of the birth of the anointed one. How did it come to pass, Matthew? He says this, when his mother, Mary, let's stop to consider those incredible words. The Lord's anointed, the second person of the Trinity, the eternal Son of God, had a mother. Her name was Mary. He then, having a mother, therefore, was human. Being born and having a mother is something that all humans have in common. We are conceived in our mother's womb. We develop over nine months. And then we are born. And we are human. In these words, we see another part of Jesus' nature. And that is his humanity. Although he was God, he did not come down to earth as a spirit or a ghost. He came and had a human body. He had a mother and as a human, Jesus did all things that humans do. He was hungry. He was thirsty. He got tired. He sweat. He laughed. He wept. He ate. He grew up. He matured. He did all things humans do, except one. He never sinned. We'll talk more about that next week. You cannot dismiss the humanity of Christ. To dismiss the humanity of Christ is to dismiss his very nature and to see what God would have accomplished through him. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, because there are some people who do believe that Jesus did not come in the flesh. And that's a big, big mistake to make. Philippians chapter 2, Paul says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He is not just human. He is the God-man. He is truly God and truly man. He is everything that the first Adam should have been as a human, but wasn't. Jesus now is the new Adam, the second Adam, the victorious Adam. The first Adam was created, had flesh, and rebelled against God. And here is Jesus in Adam's flesh. 
now victorious. Victorious in Adam's place. Oh, he had to come as a human. He couldn't just walk out of heaven and say, hey, I'm God. Let's, let's save you. No. He had to be born as a baby. He had to grow up as a toddler. Even, I can't even imagine it, as a teenager. Sorry, teenagers in here. As a young man. Until he was crucified in his early 30s. Being found in human form. Although he was God. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. Jesus knows everything about the human experience. He knows everything that you and I go through. He knows what it feels like to be rejected. He knows what it feels like to be betrayed, lied about, taken advantage of. He knows how it feels like to have all your friends walk out on you. Hmm. Yet without sin. And he had to do this. He had to do this because the law of God, his father, had to be upheld. You see, Adam and Eve broke God's law by taking that fruit. And therefore shattering the glory of God, transgressing God's command. So that you and I are then born with a natural propensity to sin against God. We're born like that. And guess what? We love it, don't we? We do. If we didn't love it, we wouldn't do it. It's in our nature to sin. So Jesus had to come, be born as a baby. He had to take on Adam's flesh to live life as you and I should have lived it. Think about that. Yeah, Jesus was the perfect toddler. There was no terrible twos for Jesus. There was no sinful temper tantrums. There was no rebellious teenage years. There was no leaving the house and sowing his wild oats. No. He obeyed God his whole life. And he could not have just done that as, a, as God without humanity. Why does that matter, brothers and sisters? The good news is this. When you and I mess up, when you and I sin, when you and I could never get it together, we have one who did. We have one who has walked in our place and obeyed for us. And that is good news. It's incredible. Truly incredible. He had a mother. There was a beginning to his human existence. Although he is the pre-existent one, 
Jesus is the only one who has ever lived before he was born. He had no beginning. He is eternal. The one who made all things made his mother. He made the womb in which he would live in for nine months. Think about that. He made the food that she would eat that would nourish him as he grew in her womb. Isn't the incarnation fascinating? Wow. He had a mother. And we do not worship his mother. We worship Christ. We are thankful for Mary being an obedient and willing servant. But Mary is just like you and I, a sinner needing to be saved by grace. Paul says in Galatians 4.4, but when the fullness of time had come, all those years of prophecies and promises, oh, the fullness of time had come. God sent forth his son, Born of woman, there it is again, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive the adoption as sons. John says this, John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. We talked about this several weeks ago. The Word became flesh. The Word that is used there and dwelt among us is literally, He tabernacled with us. Think to the Jews in the Old Testament as they're wandering through the wilderness. Going towards the promised land. God instructed Moses to build a tabernacle. Which is a big tent. In which the Ark of the Covenant would be held. And the priests would worship God. And lead Israel. As they journeyed in the wilderness. The presence of God filled the tabernacle. And then the presence of God. Was always seen by the people. And they were led by the presence of God. A pillar of cloud by day. And a pillar of fire by night. And when the cloud moved, they moved. They knew that God was with us. Why? He's right here in the tabernacle. This is the words that John uses to describe the incarnation. And the word, the full expression of the deity in all of its glory and completeness, became flesh. And tabernacled. He dwelt among us. He pitched the tent. And he lived right there. So that we. Like Isaiah prophesied. They shall call him Emmanuel. Which means what? God with us. Just like as Israel. Could look at that tabernacle in the wilderness. And say God is with us. Everyone who saw Jesus. Walking in those days. Could say God is with us. Us. Oh, the beauty of the incarnation is one I don't think we consider much. 
But without it, we don't have anything. Without the incarnation, without the word becoming flesh, we are still in our sins. We have no Savior. There is no Christmas. There's nothing. There's nothing. It had to be done this way. He had to come and become a human. C.S. Lewis says this about the incarnation. The Son of God became a man in order to enable men to become sons of God. So good. I'll say that one more time. The Son of God became a man in order to enable men to become sons of God. Praise God. Where did this promise of a Messiah begin, of this incarnation? When did this all begin? Was it Matthew? No, 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 no. You go all the way back to the garden. And you see the promise of an incarnation. You see the promise of someone who is coming to correct what has gone wrong. In Genesis 3.14, we see the proto-evangelion. Proto meaning first, evangelion gospel. This is the first gospel mentioned in the entire Bible. In Genesis 3.15, it says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman. Who is God speaking to here? He's speaking to the serpent who had just deceived Adam and Eve. The serpent who tricked Eve to say, God didn't really say that. You could eat and do what you want. God just does, he's just ruining your good time. God then issues a curse to the serpent. He issues a curse to Adam and a curse to Eve. This is the curse to the serpent. And it comes with a gospel promise. I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your offspring and what? Her offspring. He shall bruise your head. And you shall bruise his heel. Here's the sons of the serpent and the sons of the woman. The sons of the woman being the promised ones. The elected ones. The chosen ones in Christ before the foundation of the world. The offspring of the serpent being what? Remember what Jesus says to the Pharisees. You are of your father the devil. He's been a liar since the beginning. Who are the sons of the serpent? They're all those who oppose God Almighty and his plan and persecute the people of God. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between the, your offspring and her offspring. There will be this continual war. But guess what? The woman's offspring will win. He will crush your head, serpent. You will bruise his heel, meaning a wound that is recoverable from. And what does that mean? He died and he rose again. But he will crush your head, serpent, a fatal blow that you will not recover from. This is the gospel in Genesis. And what is at its core? Christmas. The incarnation, the offspring of the woman who would come to do what he had to do 
to the serpent. To destroy the works of the devil as 1 John puts it. I don't know. We just preached 30 minutes on three words. But let's keep moving. Back to Matthew 18. Or where are we? 1, 18. Thank you. Matthew 1, 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ took place. Tell us. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Betrothed is a similar, but not the same word as our modern word engagement. The father of a young man would choose a bride for his son. He would make an arrangement with the father of the bride. And this arrangement was a legal and binding agreement between the two families. That when it was a proper time, when they were of age, they would be married and they would consummate the marriage. But it was already a legal and a binding affair. This is what this betrothal period was. They were legally married. The only thing that had not happened yet was the consummation of the marriage with sexual activity. So Matthew says here that Mary is betrothed to Joseph. So she is promised to him. They had not yet come together before they came together. So this is the time of the legal binding agreement before they were physical as a couple. And before that happened, Matthew says she was found to be with child. Now that doesn't make any sense. And from a human perspective, you think only one thing. Mary was not faithful to Joseph. Instead of waiting for Joseph to come, waiting for the wedding day to come, she found someone else. She was found to be with child. What does Joseph do? Well, let's look at the character of Joseph in verse 19. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. And this goes perfectly with what we've been seeing in 1 Corinthians. We are currently in 1 Corinthians 7. We're talking about sex and divorce and remarriage. And the last sermon I preached three weeks ago um, says uh, we talked about the uh, Two reasons that are permissible biblically for divorce. Biblical, uh, uh, marital infidelity and abandonment by an unbeliever. This is one of those. Going but to Deuteronomy 24, except for the case of sexual immorality. Joseph was just following the law of Moses. Here he could end the binding agreement they had because he had perceived her to be unfaithful. She had sexual relations with somebody else and now is carrying their baby. He was in his right to do that according to the law. But he didn't want to put her to shame because legally, Mary committing adultery could have been stoned to death. But Matthew says he was a just man and didn't want to put her to shame Resolved to divorce her quietly. He wanted to keep it under wraps. Let's just end our agreement, move on, go our separate ways. I'm not going to say anything about it. Look at verse 20. 
But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Shocking news. God gives clarity and truth to Joseph. Mary has not been unfaithful to you. She is pregnant, but it's not from another man. She has, conce- she has conceived from the Holy Spirit. What a shocking and unbelievable thing to hear. And something that Joseph needed to hear from what? An angel. Because this excuse would not fly any other day from Mary, right? I just became pregnant. Don't know what happened. It doesn't work like that. And the angel comes and gives the clarity to Joseph. And Joseph takes it on faith, believes what the angel says. And here we see something else about Jesus that's so important. Even though he had a biological mother, he did not have a biological father. Joseph is not the father biologically, but he was chosen To be a father legally. He was to adopt Jesus. Raise Jesus. Care for Jesus. And make sure that Jesus grew up in a safe and holy home. Amazing. He had a mother. But he did not have a biological father. And we're going to talk more about the virgin birth next Sunday. So I'm going to hold some of my thoughts from there. But without the virgin birth, we don't have a savior. The virgin birth is essential to the identity and the nature of Jesus. Because guess what? When your mother and your father came together, guess what they made? A sinner. So did my parents. That's what happens when two sinners get together. We're really good at making sinners. But Jesus did not have an earthly father. And therefore, the sinful nature was not passed on to him. Instead, he was conceived of what? The Holy Spirit. Without that, Jesus sins and then cannot save us. He cannot go to the cross and die for our sins and be a propitiatory sacrifice, a satisfaction of our sins. He cannot pay in full. Why? He himself has his own sins to fulfill. If Joseph is really his father or if Mary was really unfaithful, everything, the whole story, just throw the whole New Testament out the window because it doesn't make any sense if he is not born of a virgin. He had a mother, but he had no father earthly father and this is very significant we'll save that more for next week but here the angel calls joseph something very important that's very important to this story he calls him what the son of david why is that significant because each of the gospel writers wrote with a specific purpose and audience in mind matthew is writing for a jewish audience Each of the gospel writers have a different purpose for writing their gospel account. Matthew's account was for Jewish people. 
And so he mentions many Jewish things so that his Jewish audience would hear and understand and know what he's talking about. The reason that he brings up son of David is because the Messiah was to come from David's line. That's another thing. One of those 324 things. Why? Because the Messiah would be one who sits on David's throne and rules and reigns forever. Without him be belonging to David's family, he can't be the Messiah. And what we see in Matthew and Luke are two genealogies. Luke gives the genealogy of Jesus through Mary, giving him a biological connection to King David. And Matthew's genealogy of Jesus is given through Joseph, giving him a legal connection to King David. Coincidence? Not at all. And where is Joseph from? Bethlehem. Where the prophet said the Messiah would be born. Amazing. He had a mother. He did not have an earthly father. And therefore he has a divine nature. He is not just human. He is God. He is the God-man. Truly man, truly God. 100% man, 100% God. Randall mentioned that last week in his sermon. The fancy theological word for that is called the hypostatic union. Because I like to hear you speak in theology. Repeat after me. (laughs) The hypostatic union. Okay, that was bad, people. That's not even a Greek word here, okay? Hypostatic union. Oh, that's music to my ears. What does that mean? It's the union of Jesus' two natures. Truly God, truly man. He's not 50% God and 50% human. No, he's 100% human, 100% God. Hmm. Why? Because he's conceived of the Holy Spirit. Because he had an earthly mother and the Holy Spirit conceived him which means what he can actually live up to what his name means what does his name means the lord saves he is the anointed one through whom the lord will save that's who he is amen amen and this is what christmas is all about It's about the incarnation. Deity taking on flesh. How did it happen? A mother and the Holy Spirit and a legal connection to King David through Joseph. You can't make that up. You can't write that. This is a God-ordained story. God-ordained story. He is God in the flesh. Let's just close the sermon by reading one more passage of scripture. Turn to Hebrews chapter 1. I love the way the book of Hebrews begins. I I love the book of Hebrews. Who knows, we'll probably preach it soon. The next three to five years. It might take us that long to get out of Corinthians. But we'll see. Um, 
Just, just listen to the beauty, the poetry of how it describes him. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Don't you ever let a Jehovah's Witness knock on your front door and say the Bible says Jesus is not God. That's a bunch of balagna. Balagna means baloney. If you, anyway, all right. He is the radiance of the glory of God. He is not just a reflection of God's glory. He is the glory of God. This is why John says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Glory as only from the fa- God, the Father. He is God. He is human. He is the exact imprint of his nature. Everything that God the Father is, Jesus is. He is fully divine. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He created through Jesus. He speaks through Jesus. Jesus is God. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. If God, even for a millisecond, stop upholding the universe, everything would collapse upon itself. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, which we know he's still sitting there until he makes all his enemies his footstool. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs, For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And the word begotten there means one of the same kind. One of the same kind. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. This is God the Father speaking. He didn't say this to any of the angels, but he says this to the son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the God's angels worship him. There's one thing very clear when you read the Bible. Anybody or anything that is worshipped besides God is strictly forbidden. Anything is idolatry if it is worshipped. Only God is to be worshipped. And here is God the Father saying to the angels, worship my son. Why? Because he is God. He is the God-man. And again, what's the point of this whole sermon? The incarnation matters. He had a mother. He has the Holy Spirit. He has a legal connection to King David. And through all this, 
he can live and fulfill what his name means. The Lord saves. The Lord saves. And my prayer for you today, friends, is that he will save you. If you're in this room and you do not yet know him, if you do not know Christ in a saving way, if you've not placed your faith in him alone, you're not working for it, you're not trying to be good, you know, I I don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. God saves you by his grace. He gives you this gift of Jesus that he died for. For you on that cross. And he rose again from the dead on the third day. And if you believe in him. And turn from your sins. He will save you. He will save you. That's what it's all about. And that doesn't happen without the incarnation. That doesn't happen without Christmas. So don't leave here today. Without asking somebody for help. Help me understand that. I don't know that. I'm going to hell if I were to die today because I don't know Jesus. I need to receive Jesus. Let me know how I can believe in him. We want nothing more than to make sure you know that today. For nobody is promised tomorrow. We need to take care of that today. Talk to somebody. We love you very much. This is what it's all about. Let's pray as we transition into remembering this Lord Jesus as he's commanded us in the Lord's Supper. Let's pray. Father, help us this morning as we now remember you through your table as you've instructed us. We pray, God, today that you would take the words of this message That Jesus is the anointed one. He is the one who saves. It's in his mission. It's in his nature. It's in his identity. He is truly God, truly man. And God, that means massive things for our life. It means massive things for our salvation. It means massive things how we see ourselves every day. For even though we, are, we cannot be perfect humans, we can't even be good humans. There's no one good, no, not one, the scripture says. We needed a perfect human to walk in our place, to be our substitute. And he not only died for us, but he lived for us because he had a mother. And he was born a human. As we consider this table, as we consider your your body, which was broken, how can you be broken? If you're not incarnated. How can you be sacrificed? How can you die? On the cross. If the wages of sin is not imputed to you. That were ours. In a body. Like ours. Help us to consider these things. To remember you. To worship you. May those of us who are clinging onto our sins that you were broken for be broken deeply within and humbly submit to your word and confess and repent of our sins and worship you and run from our wickedness. May we remember the the wealth of forgiveness that we have in Christ. 
Lord, may you encourage hearts through your gospel for, for those who are still beating themselves up for their sins, for their terrible decisions they've made over the course of their life. May you encourage them. May you remind them that they have, if they've confessed and are saved, that you have forgiven them and it's not on their record anymore. And even though they couldn't be everything that you have commanded, you have sent Jesus on our behalf. Not only to die for us, but to live for us in bodies like ours. Oh God, thank you so much for your gospel. Thank you so much for your cross. Thank you so much for the incarnation. Thank you so much for Christmas. Help us now as we remember the broken body of our Lord and his blood. All these things just remind us very much of what we talked about in the sermon today. He was indeed truly man. Men bleed. And he bled for us. Help us, Holy Spirit, now in the ways that we need it. In Jesus' name, amen.